But again, if, you, if we were to look at chapter 2 of Proverbs, what you see with Pro- Proverbs chapter 2 is a lot of pathway language, right? You see uh, the way of wisdom. You see the, the path of, of foolishness. Um, if we were to name them in this uh, study, we would call them essentially Wisdom Way and Folly Street, right? Uh, really unique names, but ones that are accurate descriptions of what Solomon is presenting for us in this uh, chapter. And in light of all the dangers of folly, Solomon wants to show us this morning that as it relates to wisdom, those who commit to wisdom's way will find great benefit. In fact, this morning, really, the whole point of what we're going to see is based on that title you see at the top of your page there, the wisdom of wisdom, right? There is great wisdom in wisdom. And so we're going to look at our passage this morning in two main sections. Uh, First, we have to understand the importance of why uh, we, or, or how we commit to wisdom. But then secondly, we have to understand why wisdom is the path worth choosing, right? So if, if we're going to really understand uh, the benefit of wisdom and why we should commit to it, um, then this is essential for us to be able to understand this morning. So let's first begin by considering what it takes to commit to wisdom. And I think uh, what the first four verses of this chapter are teaching us is that wisdom does require personal commitment. Um, chapter 2, you notice, opens with three if statements. So look at it with me real quick, all right? Chapter 2, look at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words. Verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight. Verse 4, if you seek after it like silver. If, if, if. Notice that that's conditional, meaning that it's a choice. If you do this, if you don't do this. This is what must happen if you desire to grow in wisdom. Just because you become a Christian does not mean that you magically just become wise instantaneously. After all, complete this phrase. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Notice that it doesn't say the fear of the Lord is the totality of wisdom. It says it's the beginning of A lot of you are runners, or you do competitions, or you play board games. The beginning means it's the starting line. It's the essential starting place where you have to begin. In other words, it's putting yourself on the right pathway before you even get going. You have to pick the right road. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is not the totality of wisdom. It puts you in the right place. And so we have to understand that to grow in wisdom is going to require commitment on our part. So what are the commitments that Solomon calls for us to make? Well, when it comes to wisdom, first you have to listen to it. You have to be willing to listen to it. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure of my commandments with you, making your what? Ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. In other words, growing in wisdom begins by putting yourself in a teachable position. It means putting yourself in a position of a student, of putting yourself in a position of being a learner. Um, That kind of pushes against some of our human nature because we like to think that we know more than what we actually do. And so the starting place for this begins with a very essential word, humility. It requires humility. It requires for you to be willing to learn from others, to learn from God's word, 
understanding that you don't know everything. That you don't know everything. Uh, it calls for you to accept that someone else knows something that you don't or you think you do. And so you have to be willing to take on that posture of a learner. What's the question that we've been asking uh, throughout this entire study that Rick Holland has reminded us time and time again? It's the question of, are you what? Wise enough to know what? You're not wise enough. Are you wise enough to know that you're not wise enough? That's really the posture of learning and listening. If you think that you know it all already, then you're not going to be in a place of receiving wisdom. Wisdom only grows through a commitment to learn through listening. So what does that mean practically for you? It means, guess what? Being an active listener during sermon time or Sunday school time or uh, summer study time. It means that you actively put yourself in a place where you're going to listen. You're going to avoid uh, things or people that will be a distraction to you. You go into that time, even if you look at the story or the passage, and you see, well, we've read this before. We've studied this before. There's nothing left. I, I get it. Right? That's not the posture of somebody who's going to grow in wisdom. That's the attitude of pride that says, I already know. There's nothing more that I can learn from this. That means being a participant and learning from your small group leaders right, in our ministry. Right? The adults who give up their time uh, saying that you want to, to learn from them, from not just their knowledge of the Bible, but just how they apply that in their own life and how they've seen that work out in their own experiences. Even more practically, you know where this appears? In your household. Right? Because this is a father talking to a son. By the way, happy Father's Day. If you didn't know it was Father's Day, you have my permission over the next minute to text your dad, Happy Father's Day. Okay? We do that often around here, so I will give you permission to do that if you have not done that yet. Um, but you should verbalize it to him later if you have not done so. But it does mean taking the posture of listening to mom and dad. Uh, understanding that, yeah, there are probably some things that they don't know. And guess what? They will make mistakes. They will learn themselves. But you take that position of saying, I'm going to actively try to learn from mom and dad and not just think that I'm smarter than them. It means listening to the right voices over the ones that try to drown out wisdom. We talked about that a lot last week. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to that sermon. If you were here and you already forgot it, you can still go back and listen to it again, right? But understanding that you live in a world with all kinds of friends and entertainment and uh, social media, all these voices that are trying to drown out wisdoms. It means to actively put yourself in a place where those voices are not the loudest speakers in your life. And you know which voice is often the loudest and most threatening to your life? If you had to take a guess, whose voice is usually the loudest and most threatening to your life? It's your own. It's your own. The Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful they're wicked. And oftentimes our hearts want what they want, but they're not always the things that God wants. So that's why entertainment and culture and things that tell you often to follow your heart, that you should let your heart decide, those things are not good advice. Don't listen to those things. Listen to what God's wisdom would say. Talk to God's people that would give you good wisdom from his word to help you in those things.
But also when it comes to wisdom, you need to long for it. You don't just have to, to listen for it. You need to long for it. That calls for you to vocalize your desire. Look at verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Uh, kind of going back to last week. That's, that's not like whispering. That means that's, that's shouting out. That's calling out. Let me ask you this. And I know this from experience in our own household right now. How do you know what a baby wants? What? They cry. They cry cry a lot. And they cry specifically over certain things. They cry over the fact that they are hungry. They cry over the fact that they don't feel good. They cry whenever they are not far from pooping, right? Uh, they, They get that. How about, how do you know what excites people at a sporting event? They cry out, they shout out, right? They're passionate. You've probably seen some people who are a little too passionate about it, right? There, there's an active involvement of longing that exists because they're passionate about those things. So why should it be any different for us when it comes to wisdom? Why should we be any less clear about what we want and what we need when it comes to wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5, we've talked about before that uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should pray and ask God for it, right? Sincerely, knowing that God is able to grant those things. And so if you are a Christian, you don't just learn from it, you long for it. And then finally, when it comes to wisdom, you need to look for it. You need to search it out. After all, look at what verse 4 says. If you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure. Uh, Verse 4 compares the search for wisdom to the search for treasure. Uh, It's not enough for you to just be a fan of wisdom. Say, I'm supportive of wisdom. I'd like wisdom. No, you, you have to seek it out. I mean, it would be silly to say that you love... What's something that people collect these days? I wrote baseball cards, but I don't think anybody collects baseball cards anymore, do you? Is that a thing? Maybe? Okay, what do you guys collect these days? What's, is the Pokemon cards thing? Is it you too old for that? Or you just don't want to admit it here? What do people collect these days? Don't collect anything? Let's just say hypothetically, baseball cards or Pokemon cards. You don't have to admit it. But you know deep down that that's probably one of you here, right? Like, it would be silly to say that, oh, yeah, I love baseball cards. I love collecting them. But then you don't actually, like, look for them. You're just like, yeah, it's great if it just comes across. You know, if one just so happens to slide across my desk, I'll, I'll take it. No, this, this passage reminds us that when it comes to wisdom, you have to be an Indiana Jones of wisdom. You have to go on the search for it. It's a quest. It's an exciting thing for you to say, I desire this. I want it. I long for it. Therefore, I'm going to search it out. And I love, again, one of our camp speakers, Rick Collins, says it this way. He says, the best part is that you do not have to be a genius to find wisdom. You just have to be humble. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have a 4.0 GPA. You just have to be humble. And so we see in these opening verses here what it takes to commit. And the first step is to recognize that what it takes to actively grow in wisdom, which is listening, longing, and looking. But then Solomon uh, moves into what you get. So if you're going to commit to this, this is what he's saying. This is the outcome. This is what, uh, these are the reasons why you should commit to these things. And so we see, first of all, that wisdom provides you with balanced comprehension. 
uh, a balanced way of, we could say, thinking and understanding life as we know it. Uh, those first four verses, notice, are just kind of an incomplete statement. You know, if you receive my words, if you call out for insight, if you seek them like silver, you're naturally, you should be thinking to yourself, okay, what? If, 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 then what? Well, verse 5 and verse 9 answer that for you. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. You see, first of all, and I think comprehension, it, it, uh, it's a comprehension of two essential areas of your walk with the Lord. And the first of which is knowing God. The first of which is knowing God. There is a necessary God focus in verses 5 to 8 when he talks about the fear of the Lord. After all, who does he say in these verses is the one providing wisdom? Whose mouth does wisdom come from? Who is guarding and watching over those who walk in integrity? The answer in all of those is God. This section is all about understanding the fear of the Lord, the relationship that you have with God. In other words, wisdom, student, understand this this morning. Wisdom is not just about how you can live a better life now, but how you can know God better. Not just how you can live better, but how you can know God better. And when you get that part right, so many other things for you in life begin to fall into place. This is where it starts. You have to understand this is about a relationship and knowing a person. Not just about providing a better pathway for you to live. And if you commit to this, and if you understand this concept first and foremost... The rest of life begins to fall into place. But we have to understand that that knowledge and that relationship does then impact how we live, right? We would be foolish to say that a relationship has no bearing on how we live our life. And so that's the very second idea here in verses 9 to 11 is that it impacts the way you live. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. The shift here goes from focusing on knowledge about God to now how that knowledge about God shapes the way that we live everyday life. As we see there in verse 9, we see words like righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. Verse 10, uh, it talks about wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That thing that you once despised and actually didn't want, that was something that's pleasing to you. I think about early on in my life, I did not like a lot of vegetables. In fact, I would say, honestly, up until about college, I really didn't eat a lot of vegetables. And I'm not going to stand here this morning to tell you that now I'm like a vegetarian and I love every vegetable in the world. But there are certain things that like, man, are super good to me that like years ago as a kid, I would despise. You get some really good like roasted broccoli. Oh, this stuff is so good. But years ago, when I was a kid, absolutely, no way, ain't touching that. The thing that you once despised is now going to become pleasing and desirable to you. And consider for a moment how different your life might look if it was marked by all these characteristics that he's talking about here. If you were known as a person of righteousness, a person who was fair towards other people, you were honest in all of your dealings 
people knew you as somebody who was wise, even if they didn't understand every decision of yours, they understood that. They could see that in you. How much stronger do you think your testimony for God would be in this world if those were the things that marked your life? Finally, consider what verse 11 says. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. It will watch over and guard you. See, wisdom does not just provide you the right path to walk on. It also puts up the guardrails for you to help stay on the right course. Think about guardrails that you see on the interstates or the highways, right? Those are there as a protection to you, to keep you from going off the path. Think about a lot of roads, a lot of interstates, even before you get to the guardrails, there's what on the roads? What do we call them? The rumble strips, right? Those that if people are taking a nap in your car and somebody hits the rumble strips, everybody starts to freak out, right? Those are there not to scare you. They're there to warn you, right? They're there to protect you. Say that, hey, you're starting to veer off the correct path. You need to stay back on it. You need to overcorrect back the other direction. And those protections are important even in the Christian life and walking in wisdom uh, because wisdom guards you against bad company. That's really the, the concern that they have here. We remember back in verse 1 that the voice of peer pressure and the enticement of sin saying, hey, come my direction. It's actually better over here. Wisdom is going to say, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. These are the rumble strips. Don't, don't go that way. And there's two different ways that we see, or two different groups uh, that uh, chapter 2 here talks about that it's trying to protect you from. Uh, The first group is the group of sinful living. Uh, Notice that this is actually kind of divided up between men and women. That's not in any type of way uh, for, it's, it's purely poetic, the reason that Solomon is doing this. It's not as if, well, okay, guys are just all about living ruthlessly and women it's all about sexuality it's not about that it's just a way of personifying and giving a picture of what he's talking about here but he talks about here in verse 12 uh these particular men delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech verses 12 to 15 show the vast expanse of sinful living in the world that you live in right now right verse 12, men of perverted speech. Verse 13, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And if we were to make that more contemporary to our language, right? This is the the type of people who enjoy uh, crude jokes and dirty speech, right? Their their mouths are just, they're foul. They they have no regard for, for clean language and talking about other people. People who like to do wrong things just because they're fun. Just a little horseplay, this isn't gonna hurt anybody even though it's clearly wrong and it is damaging to others or to property. Because it's just fun. They just find sin fun. And they make light of God's way of living. They lie, they deceive, and they rebel against authority. All trying to tell you, hey, it's not that big a deal. And they try to get you to go along with them. It's more practical, but just as clear as the temptations of peer pressure in chapter 1. But when you are faithfully pursuing wisdom, you will start to see the foolishness of these things. You're going to see them in their proper light. You're going to say, why in the world would I ever want to stray off this path? 
Why would I ever want to venture into where they're going? Might you be tempted to do that? Absolutely. I would expect, because you live in this world, that you would be tempted to do those things. And I do expect you to be tempted by those things. Maybe you are currently being tempted by those things. But if your life is is truly rooted in God and desiring wisdom, then wisdom is going to help wake you up to say, "Don't, don't go that way. Do you feel the rumble strips? Get back where you need to be. Wisdom will be there to help. But it's not just about the group of sinful living. It's also the group of sexual lust. Right? Verse 16 does venture into that territory. We talked about uh, in verses 12 to 15, the evil man. Now we're looking at the uh, evil woman, or as she's called here, the forbidden woman, or the adulteress. Uh, Forbidden is just a word that's used to describe a woman who is outside of the marriage, uh, a marriage relationship. Whether you're a single person or a married person, it's clearly saying like this individual is off limits for any and all kinds of different reasons. You should not be going this way. Solomon's going to have a lot to say about this in chapters Five, chapter 6, chapter 7, and we are going to tackle those things. Uh, it's not good of us to avoid them. They're actually really helpful for us, but we are going to tackle them in more detail because that's where Solomon eventually goes, and he understands the temptation that this is, particularly for young people, and I don't mean that to say that this is not an older person problem. Uh, it very much is, but it's especially enticing for young people. But suffice it for today... We see here that wisdom wants to keep you away from such allurements, such temptations. And guess what? Wisdom knows, again, how enticing it is. Look, look at the type of language that Solomon uses. Uh, he says in verse 16, the, the, the words of the adulteress are smooth words. They're flattering. They make this wrong seem right. They make it seem good and enticing and appropriate. Uh, Verse 17, when that starts to become the case, guess what? It starts to cause for you to compromise and to suspend your judgment. This woman forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. It calls for compromise, uh, saying that these other relationships that are of utmost importance are willing to be set aside for the sake of your own sinful pleasure. And guess what? Verse 18, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. That path does not lead to life. In fact, it says it's swallowed up. Uh, Have you ever seen pictures of a sinkhole before? Anybody know what a sinkhole is? These areas of ground that kind of give out underneath and it just opens up like a giant, it's a sinkhole, right? Everything that like was above it kind of just falls right into it. That's kind of the language that Solomon is using. This path leads to death and destruction. It just swallows you up. What you think is actually going to give life and vitality is actually going to be to your detriment. God wants to protect you from these things, not because, hear me very clearly this morning, he's not trying to say because sex is a bad thing, because he wants you to understand it in its right and appropriate expression. He's going to talk about that. And he wants you to understand that 
This by itself is not a, a bad thing, but you have to understand it God's way and not the way that the world wants you to experience it. And so that's another protection that is offered. But the third benefit to wisdom that we're going to look at here this morning is that wisdom keeps you from eternal consequences. This is very simple, very clean cut here. Uh, verses 28 to 22 make this final declaration. The wise will live and the fool will perish. In fact, it uses language that was very uh, reflective of the day and age where the Israelites lived. The Israelites were dwelling in what place at that time? It was the place that God had promised, a land called the promised land, <laughs> right? Uh, so that idea of dwelling securely in the land was a huge uh, source of security and safety to the people. But notice here that he says the wise will inhabit the land in verse 21, while the fool will be what? Cut off from the land in verse 22. It's the difference between the righteous path and the wicked path. And as, we, as we've already learned in our study, the difference is of eternal significance. The final benefit of wisdom is determined by its final outcome, which is where the path ends. The paths of wisdom and folly, student, they don't merge with each other. They're not even running parallel with each other. In fact, the Bible says they fork and they go in two extremely opposite directions from one another. Two very different destinations. Wisdom wants to keep you from the outcome and the final destination where the fool goes. Think about this. I was contemplating this week. What's, our, what's the name of our ministry here? Uh, student ministry at Newcastle? Rooted, right? Notice what it says about the fool in verse 22. The treacherous will be rooted out of the land. If we were to just rephrase that in our language, to be rooted out of something means to be uprooted, to be taken out. That judgment is severe language, but notice that the way of the wise is far different. It says that they will inhabit the land. In other words, their roots will continue to grow. They will be founded and strengthened and grow because they are rooted in the right place. They will not be uprooted. So wisdom keeps you from these eternal consequences, right? Wisdom guards you against bad company and wisdom provides you with balanced comprehension. So with all that, what's, what's some of the takeaways that we need to think about this morning as we look back on everything that Solomon has provided us here? I think the first of which is this, that growing in wisdom does not happen on accident. All the actions of verses 1 through 4 uh, are active, not passive. If you want to grow in wisdom, it's not going to happen on accident. And I know that you understand this because all of you are in a stage of life where if you're going to get good at something, you have to try at it. You have to practice at it, right? I know a number of you, I've seen a number of you in your athletic performances before, right? You don't get to where you are because it just happens. You don't just sit on the couch and just say, oh man, I can't wait for the meet tomorrow. I'm going to be such a good runner because I've been sitting here all week eating potato chips, right? No, you're out there doing something. 
For those of you that I heard, I know a number of you, last week were over in this building uh, doing a musical uh, camp and recitals. And I could hear from even day one to the end of the week, which by the way, thank you for serenading me all week with all this classical music. It was very nice. I was meeting with people and we had all this natural music happening. But like that ability does not just happen on accident. You didn't just wake up one day and say, man, I'm going to be a really good violin player, and just, it happened. You had to work at it. You had to grow in those things. If you're a person who does artwork, it doesn't just happen one day. You just wake up, and you're like, man, I'm just going to be the next Michelangelo or Bob Ross, right? <laughs> I was trying to think of another artist. Bob Ross is the next one that comes to mind, right? You have to take steps to grow in those things. And Solomon, like a good father, grabs our attention in verse 1 and says, my child... A child, if you're going to do these things, this is what it takes. Listen, learn, and look for wisdom. You can't just do these things apart from desire. You must long for it because you see your lack and your need. And by the way, this is an important point to add a disclaimer to this. That you do this all. Not in your own strength, but you do so in the strength that the Lord supplies, right? Philippians 2 is a passage we studied a few weeks ago as a church, right? Where you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is who that is at work in you. It's God. God is the one who is helping you do these things. And so you live and you work in appropriate balance with these things. So to do these things apart from God makes this nothing more than an effort to just live a good moral life. You have to do so with the strength and the source in mind. Because otherwise, you're just doing this all for your own benefits. Which is why our second point is so important this morning. That the greatest benefit of wisdom is gaining God. Student, please do not rush past this point. If there's one thing I really want you to, to, to grasp onto this morning, I think it's this. Because notice that verses 5 through 8 were not calling you to know about God. It's great to know about God, but that's not what these verses are calling you to know. They were calling you to know God. Knowledge is not just intellectual. It is personal. It is relational. It is intimate. God's great desire is that we would know him above all else. And I think we tend to forget that in daily life. It's so easy to divorce our obedience to God and living for God from God himself. In other words, we're really good at understanding, well, I just need to to, to live better. I need to to try harder. I need to sin less. And you're doing all these things and you're, you're, you're putting so much stress on these things that you forget why you're even doing so in the first place. And these verses remind us that the greatest benefit of wisdom is not just about how you live, it's about who you get. We often want guidance without the guide, deliverance without the deliverer, counsel without the counselor. And we forget the very fact that God doesn't just give us rewards, he himself is the reward. Never forget that wisdom is first and foremost about a loving relationship between You and the one who saved you from your wicked ways. And now the life that you live in wisdom is an expression of worship. That's why we call wisdom about worship. 
We define wisdom, first and foremost, as an expression of worship. Because our obedience and our living is for God because of what he has done for us. And then finally, just remember this morning that all journeys have an ending point. Chapter 2, as we mentioned at the outset, is filled with language about paths and ways and roads. And here is where we must remember that all paths do come to an end. There is... Uh, the poet Shel Silverstein once wrote, there is a place where the sidewalk ends. And so verses 20 to 22 remind us that there is a finish line. There is a point of determination. You do not know when this time will come, but it is coming. And so the question for you today is this, which path are you on? Which road or which way do you find yourself on today? Is it the one that leads to eternal life? Is it the one that is rooted and grounded in God? Or is it the one that leads to judgment? The one that will up, be uprooted and disposed from God? The good news for all of you here this morning is that God does not want to keep you from knowing the appropriate way to go. In fact, he has made the way very clear for you. And if we read the New Testament carefully, we understand that the way to God and the way to wisdom is through what? Through Christ, right? After all, it was Christ himself who said, I am the what? The way. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not all paths lead to God, but thanks be to God that we do know the way that does lead to him. It comes through his son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time we've had to, to spend reflecting on uh, the glorious benefits that come from a life that is rooted in you and a life that desires to pursue wisdom. I do ask this morning that you would help our students to really commit, Lord, to see the, the benefit that comes from a life that is in pursuit of wisdom, but it's not going to happen on accident. It requires uh, commitment. It requires uh, humility and teachability on their part. So I pray that you would grant that to them. And that in the coming weeks, as we continue to unpack the glories of this uh, wonderful passage uh, and this wonderful book, uh, that you would help us to grow in wisdom, not for our own sake, Lord, but for the sake of your glory and your testimony to the world. So we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.